Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. So we're going to continue in our series with our final message today. We've been in a series called Follow Me. Everybody say, Follow Me. Notice that scripture is an amazing, amazing statement to say, follow me. We've been called to follow Jesus wherever he goes. What we found is that it would help us to understand some of the places that he loves to go today by looking back at the places that he went while on earth. So two weeks ago, I preached a message called, Follow Me Into the Wilderness. Now, don't we all love to talk about following Jesus into the desert seasons of life? I got a lot of fan mail on that one. A lot of fan mail on that message. Last week, Pastor Chad preached a message called Forward. And uh, today we come to this week's message. And I want to talk about one of the most important, I think it's hard to overstate its importance, one of the most important subjects we can engage, really, as his church. I want you to turn in your Bible with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. This passage is very special to me. God has been using it over the last, I would say, four to six weeks to really stir my heart for our church and what I believe that he wants to do in this upcoming year as it relates to outreach, as it relates to engaging our community and the place that God has called us to plant. You know, the Bible says that, that when God called forth Abram from the land of Ur of the Chaldees, he said, I will make you a blessing to the world. I'm going to make you a blessing. So I've often asked the question, if our church is closed down in our communities today, how many would people would say that we are a blessing or are we a judgment? Are we have to be places of blessing. In fact, that's where Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, fulfills what we see in Genesis 11. Really, the church, the called out people of God. We are to be a blessing to the nations. God's been giving me a new burden, really a new burden to reach out to our community. Something new to carry. And I, I just want to say from the outset of this message how grateful I am and thankful I am for our connect group leaders we have connect groups that meet most first and third Sunday nights of the month, but also during the week. And our connect group leaders over this last week have done a fabulous job, not just in this last week, but the last year, of carrying God's heart for those in our city. And many of you were a part of different outreach opportunities this last week, and that's only going to continue to multiply. God has been stirring my heart in a very unique way for what that would look like and the creativity of that in the brand new year. As we read this passage today, we're going to talk a lot about outreach. But before you dismiss it as only being an outreach message, I want you to understand this is a message today where all four points really can apply to different areas of your life. So what I would love for you to do is kind of dial in on God's heart for outreach, but then on the other side, if you can dial in to what God wants to speak to you personally, because the Holy Spirit, of course, will. Jesus is the good shepherd and speaks to his sheep. Dads speak to their kids, don't they? Dads speak to their kids. Luke chapter 19 is one of those stories that for many people in our culture, sadly enough, has been minimized to merely a children's story. The title of today's message is, Follow Me to Zacchaeus' Home. Follow Me to Zacchaeus' Home. Now some of you, if you grew up in Sunday school or any kind of church or faith tradition, I already know you're humming the song in your head, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a, and don't go any further, right? Because you know your favorite part of that line is when Jesus says, Zacchaeus, you come down that tree, right? We love it. Some of you who didn't grow up in Sunday school, you think we're crazy or we're nerds. We are. We're nerds. We accept it. We're part of the club. But sometimes I think the devil loves to take very important passages of Scripture. And then in our minds, he wants to turn them into merely children's stories. So that we lose the power and the importance and the punch of the passage. Begin with me in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says that Jesus entered Jericho and he made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. And he was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see or beside the road. For Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must, everybody say must, be a guest in your home today. Notice that, in your home. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and he took Jesus into his house in great excitement. This is not belligerent. 
and in great joy. He was ecstatic. But the people were displeased, and he, they said he, Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, verse 9, salvation has come to this home today. For this man, Zacchaeus, has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. In this message today, through these four points, we are going to dissect Luke chapter 19, verse 5. It's the one sentence that God has literally been branding in my soul. We're going to dissect Luke 19 and 5. We're going to do it by looking at four important words in the passage. I've actually never preached a message like this. I don't even have, um, I don't have sentences to the points. I just have words. Just the words directly out of the text. Four very important words, series of words that we find in this passage. Word number one, Zacchaeus. Everybody say Zacchaeus. Now when we think about important words, powerful words in Scripture, many of us don't think of names necessarily from the outset. But I want you for a few moments to put yourself in Zacchaeus' position. Everyone hates him. He's a chief tax collector. What that means is that the scripture suggests that he got rich by very dishonest means. Tax collectors were Jews who worked for the Roman government because Rome led over the, the, the territory at the time. So Jews thought that tax collectors were traitors because they were taking money from their fellow Jews and they were giving it to Rome. So Zacchaeus, you got to understand in the outset, is a very hated man. Very much despised culturally. But not only was he a hated man, he was, he was also a very unnoticed man. He was much shorter than anyone else. He was a part of the culture, and the culture was doing everything they could to not notice him. And Jesus comes into town, and Zacchaeus is trying to get a good look. So he's, he, he says, well, I'm going to go to that tree and climb up. I mean, Zacchaeus is the prototypical, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me, kid at recess. This is Zacchaeus, the kid being overlooked. He says, you know what, I'm just going to climb that tree and get a good look. Now, we don't know if Lazarus or excuse me, Zacchaeus, don't jump ahead, Lazarus. I preached on Lazarus at a funeral yesterday. Zacchaeus and Jesus had ever met previous. We don't know that. We don't know if they've ever had a prior connection. It doesn't really matter because if you think of it from Zacchaeus's perspective, even if Jesus had met Zacchaeus before, and that's why he knew his name to call him down from the tree, you got to imagine yourself being Zacchaeus even if Jesus had met you one time, it's still pretty impressive for him to remember your name when he's been around thousands of people. I mean, you're in the tree, you'd be shocked, would you not? I mean, the Lord of glory calling your name as he's walking through Jericho. On the other side, if they've never met before and Jesus knew his name from what we call the word of knowledge, which is one of the nine spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus with the word of knowledge to give Zacchaeus his name, that's just as impressive. That's just as amazing and just as shocking. Here's the point. The point isn't how Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. The point is that Jesus called him by name. Listen to me, church. Simply calling someone by their name is a gift you can give to them in a 21st century America. Simply calling them by their name. Noticing them enough to know their name. Now, we all must get better at this. Being around ministry for many years of my life, I know a lot of people say, well, I'm just not good with names. I'm just not a name person. You're a name person. Well, all excuses aside, we got to get better at names. We all need to be like Rain Man when it comes to names, right? I don't know what you got to do. You got to say someone's name. I always teach our leaders to try to say that person's first name at least five times within the first 30 seconds of conversation. Nice to meet you, Tyler. Good to meet you, Tyler. Tyler, what do you do for a living, Tyler? Tyler, awesome. Do you have any kids named Tyler? You know, and so consistently. But you got to find ways the reason we don't remember names is because we always want to think about what's next rather than focusing what's on the right now. And I know it's hard, folks. I know. Get out of the first gathering. We go out there. We meet some first-time guests. And, uh, and I'm sitting there talking to them. And my mind's thinking, i got to talk to media team. And i got to talk to worship team. And we got to change this before the next gathering. And i got to say this differently. And, and so I know it's very easy to say, I'm going to focus on what's next instead of what's in front of me. But we've got to discipline ourselves to focus what's on in front of us. In front of us. I'll never forget, I've told many of you this story. Uh, about a year into the relaunch of Dwelling Place, we were here, and um, one Sunday morning I was preaching, and two precious ladies came in the church who live uh, in Holly Springs, Canton area, and they came down, and they came and sat on the second row here, 
And I'll never forget the service, in, the gathering ended and went and talked to them. And, and uh, I was just sharing with them. And one of them was really deeply touched by this. And she ended up coming back to the church multiple times. But that Monday, I called her. I called uh, our first-time guest on Monday. And I called her. i never forget. She's talking. And, uh, and she's like in an argument or a fight or something. And, and I hear that as the phone answers or opens. And then, she, and then I'm like, hey, it's Pastor Craig from Dwelling Place Church. She's like, hello. You know, none of y'all have ever done that before. The whole voice changes. I mean, it just shifts. It's instant. Like, I mean, it's just amazing how the tone and tenor of the whole house and living room changes. But um, and she, she says, hello. And, and I told her, I said, hey, you know, it's Pastor Craig just calling you. Just talk to her. And she starts crying. And she says, you know what? I got to tell you what's going on. And uh, she was, her life was ravaging. I mean, it was in pain. Um, her husband, who had moved her here from Ohio, um, had been unfaithful to her and cheated on her. And, um, and so now she was, uh, he'd left her with another woman, and she had no family here, and she was trying to figure out how to get by, not only financially, but just get by in life emotionally. And so over the next few weeks, uh, we just ministered to her. I would call her, and she came very faithfully. I never forget one Sunday morning, this first gathering ended, I was standing out here talking to David Hayes, one of our ushers. And um, the, the lobby had kind of cleaned out, and Sheena comes in the front door. So she's a good, what, I don't know, 30 yards down, down the lobby there. And she comes in the front door, and I see her, and so I turn from David, and I say, Hey, Sheena, it's so good to see you. And I walked over to her, and she looked like a deer caught in headlights. I mean, her eyes were this big. And I went over to her and met her, and I hugged her, and, and uh, she didn't have anything to say. She was a very talkative person. She would never leave a gathering until she hugged me, right? She's just very much stunned. So we went to the gathering, the gathering got in, and she came, uh, done, she came to me in the lobby after, and she said, Craig, i got to tell you this. She said, uh, she said I've I, I got to be honest with you, I was totally shocked and stunned when you said my name, because I've not been called by my name in months. People go unnoticed. When you call somebody by their name, in the 21st century America, you're giving them a gift. I'm not talking about your best friends. I'm talking about people in your sphere of influence that you take the time and interest to get to know, that you take notice of. It's a gift from God. Simply remembering someone's name is a gift we can give them. So, Craig, how do we get better at something as simple as remembering someone's name? Simple. Here it is. We notice others by taking a greater interest in them than we do ourselves. We take a greater interest in them than we do ourselves. This is what the Apostle Paul told the church at Philippi. He said in Philippians 2 and 4, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Don't think of yourself more highly than you all. Focus on other people, he says. Another way to say that, ready? My Craig Mosgrove translation, paraphrase. If you are swimming in self-love, you will never notice someone drowning in distress. I want to say it again. If you're swimming in self-love, you will never notice someone drowning in distress. If you're walking around everywhere you go in life thinking, man, I love me some me. Anybody ever met some people who love me some me? They're fun to be around, aren't they? If you're walking around life saying, man, I love me some me. It will be very hard for you to notice someone right in front of you drowning in distress. This is what Jesus said and John said in Luke chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Amazing, amazing passage. The crowd asked, what should we do? And John said, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food... Share it with those who are hungry. Translation, never be so busy admiring your two shirts that you never notice the one with no shirt. Never be so busy admiring your two shirts that you notice the person with no shirt. And Jesus, as he was walking down the street, paid one of the most ultimate compliments to Zacchaeus by noticing him. He just noticed him. I wonder each and every day of our lives how much we miss that God wants us to notice. I want to give you a one-liner that I pray sticks with you for a while. There will always be a need in every room you enter. The question is, will you notice it? Will you notice it? This is, in fact, how Jesus led his life. He, the Lord, of course, understood and had sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 4, you remember when Jesus went out of his way to go feed the 5,000. And he went to minister to a woman who was a, a well, a Samaritan woman, what they would have called in that day a half-breed, a Jew who had intermarried with the Assyrians when Jews went in captivity about 750 years before Christ. So the Samaritans were, if you will, half-breeds of their time. And Jesus goes and he meets with a woman at the well as a rabbi. As I was thinking about that passage again, I was reminded of how God is raising up a generation to go to places right now where his light is dim. God is raising up a generation right now 
who would go to places where his voice is not heard. Here's the question. If you hear God and you go to places like that, if you go to the uttermost parts of the earth, if you hear and you go, what do you do when you get there? If you hear and you go across the lunchroom, if you hear and you go across the street, wherever it is you live, across the cubicle, what do you do when you get there? You hear me say a lot of times we need to go in every person's world. We need to go into the world of politics, go into the world of medicine, go into the world of, of, of Volkswagen, go into the world of ministry, go into the world of science, go into the world of business, go into the world of arts. But what do you do when you get there? What do you do when you engage that? Well, we find Jesus at a well, and the well becomes essentially the artistic centerpiece for the ministry and activity around it. What we find in this passage is that Jesus always saw ministry in the context of real life. Jesus always saw ministry in the context of real life. Those of you that are planning for vocational ministry, listen up to me. You feel called to five-fold ministry. Listen to me. Jesus was in a hurry to feed the 5,000, yet he always had time for the woman at the well. Life is full of unexpected twists and turns, and ministry happens not in the context of some formal situation. It happens in some manner, in some well, in some situation, in some moment behind a well or beside a well, where some opportunity of outreach and the opportunity to touch another life happens. But what happens in our lives is we so often blow right past it. We're so bound and determined to get somewhere or do something that we miss the opportunity to be where God wants us to be and to do exactly what He wants us to do. We have an opportunity to be where His voice is needed, where His light is out, where His light needs to shine. It's right there before us, and yet we miss it. And Jesus is at the well, and He's tired, and He's thirsty, which can kind of be provocative. Because we don't often think of Jesus as being subject to the laws of nature, but he was. His divine self subjected his divine self subjected itself to his human self in the sense that he got hungry and sleepy and had all the same physical realities that you and I experience. So here is Emmanuel, God with us, sitting next to a whale. He's hungry and he's tired and he's thirsty. Folks, that is not a moment where you're looking for ministry. Ever been there? I've gone somewhere and preached my guts out. I get on a plane, I'm tired, I'm prayed out, I'm counseled out, I'm prayed out. And I'd say to God, God, I hope no one's next to me. But the person next to me, you know what, may be the very reason I went there. It was not to preach or counsel anybody, but it was for that person. Happens to me every time. Ministry moments happen when we're tiredest. Ministry, authentic moments happen when we're weak somewhat. we got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And often when we're the tiredest, some apparent contradiction, some apparent sidetrack becomes the interruption that actually becomes the authentic moment of ministry. For those of you who are in law, so those of you who are in business, for those of you who are in medicine, where you are is the context God wants to use you in ministry. The context of ministry is in real life. It's where you are. You come into contact with someone else's need and you notice it and you know their name and you get to know that person. We get the idea when we read the Bible that everyone's acting out of script, right? We read back into scripture like Jesus arrived at the well and he's like, okay, it's John chapter 4. It's a woman at the well. Is she coming anytime now? It's about 12 o'clock. You know, we think that we read back into scripture like they knew what was going to happen because we know what happened. Jesus didn't know. He's sitting down in a well. If the interns were there and they were like studying his ministry, well, how does he do this? Well, let's see how he did that. How did he know he had five wives? How did she know he had five husbands? How did, how did you do that? Did you get trained in the great seminary? And Jesus is like, I don't know. Let's just give it a try. Let's just give it a try. Just ask some questions. Let's just talk to somebody. Did you know there's 125 teaching incidents in the Gospels? 125 times Jesus teaches. 113 out of those 125 start with questions. Only 12 start with content. You want to minister to people? Ask questions. Sit down with them in a well and talk. Just begin to ask a question. The point is Jesus is not looking for a moment of ministry. But yet he ministers to her and she becomes one of the greatest evangelists in all of the Gospels. He said, Craig, what was going on in Jesus' life? He enters into her life humbly. Listen to me, church. Ministry in the Spirit is about being sensitive on the one side to people's needs. But if that's the only sensitivity you have, you will operate in the flesh and the weight of human need will sink you. You will leave ministry and you will burn out. Ministry in the Spirit is not just sensitivity to human need. It's, on the other hand, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit's desire in that person's life. And what happens is when I'm sensitive to the guidance and the direction of the voice of the Holy Spirit, and I hear God's voice, and then I'm sensitive to where people's needs are, 
If I can move in the context where the people are, that's genuine, authentic demonstration of God's gift through my life. And I'll just tell you, I wouldn't tell you this if I didn't believe it. I felt the Holy Spirit so surge my soul this week to believe that people in this community who are spirit-filled believers, God is about to release gifts of the Spirit that are going to enable you to be more effective witnesses in your workplace. I believe that. Words of knowledge. I believe gift of faith is going to fill somebody. The gift of healing. The gift of miracles. And listen, when I get sensitive to the needs of people around me, and I get sensitive to the voice of God's Spirit for that person's life, and I operate in the context of real life ministry, the demonstration of God's Spirit and operating the gifts begins to bring change in their life. Begins to bring change. But i got to be sensitive. i got to be sensitive. Here's my question for you. What's your heart in ministering to other people? If you could win 100,000 people to Jesus and be known for it, or you could win one person to Christ anonymously who would win one million people, which would you choose? That is a fabulous question to wrestle with. What is your heart? What's your heart for the need around you? What's your heart for the people that desperately need his gospel? What's your heart for them? Everybody say Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Jesus noticed Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Here's the second one. Everybody say, I must. I must. I must is a really big deal. You say, I must. Why is it a really big deal? You got to understand this phrase. I must is constantly being attacked by the I mights and the I shoulds in your life. I must. Let me help you understand what I might and I should sounds like. I might go to church this weekend. I should go to the gym today. We say things like this, right? Am I the only man that says things like this? Right? Let's take a survey. Be honest. Remember, we're in the house of the Lord, plus you are the house of the Lord, so the Lord knows. Um, uh, so, so let's be honest. We're in the group together. How many of you would be honest, and I want to do a show of hands, how many of you would say that more than half of the time, that means more than 50% of the time, more than half of the time, when I say I might do something, I never do it? Raise your hand. Great, great. No shame in it. Be a part of the club. Ride or die, baby. We are a club. How many of us in the room would say more than half of the time when I say I should do something, I never end up doing it? Good, good. So I'm not by myself in this. Very good. How many of us would say when we say I must do something, more than 50% of the time we do it? See, look at that. I must is a powerful declaration. What do you mean, Craig? I might and I should are not powerful. I might and I should are very dangerous. Because when I move from the land of I might and I should to I must, it takes me from being an entertainer to be an executor. Because when, when we say things like I should or I might do that, we are entertaining the thought of doing the right thing. But that doesn't mean we'll do it. We're just entertaining the thought of doing the right thing. But when we say I must... We're no longer entertaining the thought of doing the right thing. We've now taken on the burden to do the right thing. I must. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, when he walked into Zach, uh, to Jericho that day, he didn't look up in the tree and say, you know what, hey, buddy, hey, buddy, old pal, Zacchaeus. You know what we should do? We should get together sometime. How many times do you say that to people? We should get together sometime. Lost person who desperately needs Jesus, and you may be the only one that they know. We should get together for lunch. That's not what he says. No, he looks up in the tree and says, I must be a guest at your house today. That's what he said. He didn't say, that. He say I might. He says, I must be a guest. Why? Because Jesus was and Jesus is a must man. In fact, doesn't he use this language all through the Gospels? He always says, I must. Look at the way Jesus talked. Uh, look at Mark chapter 1, verse 35, 36, 37, 38. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up, went to an isolated place to commune with the Father to pray, and later Simon, Peter, and the others went out to meet him. And when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. Get away from your father, Jesus. Come on, bro. Got some stuff to do. Some ministry. And he looks, and Jesus said, we must go on to other towns as well. And I will preach to them too, because that's why I came. Jesus said, we must. We must. There are must men and women all throughout Scripture. Did you know this? John the Baptist was a must man. John chapter 3, verse 30. 
one of the well-known passages. He said, I, Jesus, must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. We know this scripture. It's a powerful scripture. But do you know how weak it would be if he would have changed it and said, Jesus must become greater and greater, and I might become less and less? He said, must. Paul was a must man. I must go to Jerusalem. Joshua was a must man. Mary was a must woman. Sometimes we forget that as followers of Jesus Christ, because Jesus was and is a must man, we've been called to be must men and women of God. Must men and women of God. Listen to Jesus in Matthew twenty two thirty seven. The Pharisees are trying to get him caught in, a, in an argument. They say, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you must. Not you might, you should. You must love the Lord your God with all. Everybody say all. Time out. Pause. Pause button. You do realize that when you frequently use the words I might or I should, you also love the word some and you hate the word all. People who use I might and I should use some, and people who use I must use all. Oh yes, yes, it's by nature connected. So when Jesus says, hey, I want all of your love to love, love me with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength, and I must people say, Lord, I'll give it all. But I might and I should say I'll give some. Some. You do realize what could happen in your life if you removed and moved from I might to I must. Do you realize, you may not believe me, that one of the biggest things in the way of progress and growth and health in your life is your shoulds. Is your mights. It's been a rough week. I should probably take my wife out on a date. Yeah. You must take your wife and do something. Engage her. See, that's what kills our progress. You see a 411 about us doing another outreach on Saturday. You say, you know what? I should do that. I should go do that. You won't. Let's just be real, folks. I, it's cute. And I, I appreciate so much that you have that thought, but you won't. You know how I know you won't? Because you said I might, or I should, and I just tricked you. You just said more than 50% of the time your odds are you won't do what you said. I should go to a connect group. You won't. It's, that's cute. I love it. I'll pat you on the back, but you ain't going. I promise you ain't going. I might go to the outreach. No, you ain't. You ain't going no outreach if you said I might. I should get on that worship team. You are not, you are not getting one more step closer to that worship team. Why? Because you said I might. He said, I should. What would happen if all of our I mights and I shoulds went to I must? I must. I must. Chances are, I'm speaking of myself too. If I say I should do something, I ain't doing it. I must serve with that team. I must reach out to others in need. The odds are we will. We have to move from I might to I must. And Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and says, I must be a guest at your house today. Here's the third one. Your home. Everybody say, your home. Oh, those are two words that are very important to me. Very, very important to me. Zacchaeus, I must come to your home. This passage, as I mentioned to you from the outset, is one passage that the Lord seems to really be using to stir me for outreach. And I don't know, it to, you know, speaking prematurely what that's all going to turn out, that's not the point here. I'm just telling you what God has burdened my heart for. I felt the Lord say again a couple weeks ago, is it was thinking and contemplating, I felt the Lord say, Craig, what did I say to Zacchaeus? So I started singing the song. I didn't go to the scripture. I did what you would do. So I started singing the song. I'm like, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And then I went to the scripture, and I read verse 5. And God spoke to me and says, Craig, I went to him. I didn't wait for him to come to me. I went to him. I engaged him. Notice he said, your home. That's two very important words. Because we as a church are not just going to wait for those in need to come to us. We are going to proactively go to them. Jesus called us to go. But you know what people in need do? They call us to come. So Jesus calls us to go, and people in need call us to come. And we aren't waiting for their invitation as a church. We are going to find them. We are going to pursue them. When Jesus runs after jo uh, Troy or John or whoever it is, I'm going to run after Troy or John or whoever it is. When Jesus runs after uh, Amber in my workplace, then I've got to run after Amber in my workplace. We've been called to do this as followers of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think for just a moment. It's customary for a king 
to extend an invitation to you to join him. If a king of a nation was to extend an invitation to you, he would get a lower magistrate or somebody lower in the kingdom, and he would send an invitation. He would say, the king requests your presence at his castle at 1800, 6 o'clock p.m. The king requests your presence at his table in his castle on Friday night at 6 o'clock p.m. He wants you to come to him. That's customary for kings. But do you know what I love about our King Jesus? He can do invitations, and he does invitations really well. But you know what our Jesus does more than he does invitations? He does house calls. Jesus comes to us. Jesus don't wait for us to come to him. He comes to us. Our king does house calls. Our king does visitations. Our king moves into the neighborhood. He doesn't just wait for you to come to him. He's coming to you. He left the seat of privilege. He left the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and he came here for you and for me. And he says to Zacchaeus, I am coming to your house today, buddy. Coming to your house. Luke 19, verse 9 said, Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and said, Salvation has come to your house today. Jesus, you, know what, you know what he's saying? Jesus is saying, a conquering king came into your house today. Anybody remember when the conquering king came into your family? I remember. Oh, my goodness. He, he stamped his dominion right in the middle of Saudi Daisy, Tennessee, and he changed our entire family lineage. You remember, when the, you remember when the conquering king got a hold of your heart and began to conquer the hearts of those that are around you? Began to conquer mom and dad who had been hard and had been turned off. Oh, I remember it. Cornelius' whole household experienced the conquering king. He said, the conquering king has come into your house today, and only a conquering king could offer that kind of salvation. Only a conquering king came to that despised man's house today. You know what I love even more about Jesus? Can I just preach a minute? He doesn't just visit our houses. He doesn't just do house calls. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. Um, Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrase says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I like it. He doesn't just visit. He moved into the neighborhood. Do you remember when you were in like, um, like fourth or fifth grade? And for you girls, there was that, uh, that one girl in class that everybody liked and you were trying to be friends with because she was real popular. And you, you, you tried to interact with her, but you didn't know if you were really friends or where y'all stood. Are y'all frenemies or friends to the face, enemies to destiny? You know, you didn't know what you were. Are you frenemies? Are you, are you friends? Or what's going on? You know, like you didn't know what you were, right? You didn't know it. Because that's how girls in the fourth grade, in the fifth grade, in the sixth grade, in the seventh grade, in the eighth grade, in the ninth grade, in the tenth grade, in the eleventh grade, in the twelfth grade, <laughs> in the twenty-second grade, in the right. If conviction is setting in, we'll open up the altar in just a few moments, ladies. All right, but but you wanted to be in the in crowd. Or what about you boys? There was always that boy that played. You played with at recess, and you really loved him a lot, and so admired him that you didn't really want to get in a healthy competition. But you always found yourself with him at the. At the free throw line, and you reached down and took your Reeboks and did the pump up on the tongue. Y'all don't remember the pump ups, baby. The pump ups. Woo! Pump ups were bad to the bone. And so you, you knew you wanted to interact with him, but man, and then all of a sudden you're sitting in class one day, and he or she says, Hey, can I come over to your house this weekend? And what happens? Oh my God, I've arrived. It's like the floodgates open up, right? It's like, oh my heavens, like, yeah, you can come to my house. I've been waiting for the last three and a half years for you to come over on a Friday night, right? I get so excited. Like, Carl wants to come over this weekend, Mom. Carl, 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 the Carl. Like Amber, Amber, she's coming, Amber's coming, Amber's coming. You know, it's like, you're so excited. Amber's coming over. Do you remember how special and sweet it was when someone you really liked and someone you really looked up to and someone you really admired said, hey, I'm coming over to your house today. I want to come hang out with you on your turf. Can I tell you, as followers of Jesus Christ, we've been called by God to go and be called by those in need to come. And do you realize how special it is when you go to people on their turf and you carry the, the presence of the living Christ and you restore back to them human dignity? You restore back to them great hope and expectation. Do you know how much it ministers to their life when you go to them, when you're a guest in their house, when you uh, approach them, when you go after them, when you visit with them? 
That's what he said in James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religion is not just to go to them, but to visit. There's the word to visit. Jesus visited and then moved in to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Notice that. We've been called by people in need to come. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. And you listen to me. The heart of our church as it relates to outreach is not just for us to come in and enjoy being in God's presence, although that's amazing. Not just to come in and enjoy hearing God's word, though that's amazing. We come in to go out. If you're new to our church, the strategy of our church is very simple. It's four G's that serve one G. The four G's are gathering. We are doing right now a gathering. We gather together and gather people to Jesus Christ. Second part of our strategy is grouping. We do connect groups. Life-on-life contact, transformation happening in true transparent relationships, grouping. Third part of our strategy is growing. This Thursday night will be the final night of our Thursday night, a fall semester of growth phases. We grow together. It's our discipleship process. And then finally, give. We give and we serve in gifting teams. You're here today because people are giving and gifting right now, using their gifts to serve God to make this experience a reality. But all of the gathering All of the grouping, all of the growing, and all of the giving is to serve our going. Going in everyday life. Where God has called you to go. Where God is going with you. Where God has called you to love on the city and the people around you. You say, where do we go? Well, God's heart is every street corner in our city. Anywhere where there's someone in need, that's where we're going. We've been called to go to them. And they're calling us to come Come on, Casey. I, I don't know, and, and I'm not saying this prematurely, but I just, man, my creative imagination got stirred this week as I began to pray. And I have to talk with Pastor Chad and Michelle and, and Meredith and maybe some of you as well, but man, I just began to see in my mind as God stirred this passage in me. The needy people are calling us to come, and we don't want to take a shotgun approach to ministry and bullet hole everything and do nothing well or make no lasting impact, but And I just began to say and begin to pray this week that God would raise up people in our community in this next year who had the creative genius of God and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I don't know, maybe we find some kind of trailer that we can purchase that's really cheap and we create a mobile unit where we can have some people who cut hair go into any street corner on this city or in metro Atlanta. We can go in and we get clothes. You know what I want to do? I don't want to have clothes that we just give to people, people with no clothes. I want to have clothes in the back of a mobile unit where people are able to walk in and pick what they want. You want to restore some human choice, responsibility, and dignity so they can come in and get what they want. And I could just see in my mind a food trailer coming behind it. Why? Why? Because we need to give them a meal. We've got plenty of food. We'll give them food. I could see an ice cream coming truck coming behind because everybody loves ice cream cones. Uh, I could see I could see them coming in and picking what meal they wanted, letting them choose what meal. I could just see God raising up people in our community to go to street corners to see people who desperately are calling us to come. We're going to your house. Some of you are already doing that in your connect groups, building relationships with different communities. Then God gave me the last word this week and confession. I've overlooked this word so many times in this story. But it hit me this week like it never has before. He said, today, today, not tomorrow, today salvation has come to this house. Today. What if during this gathering you got a text message on your phone right now? And you know you look, don't lie. And you take out your phone and it's a friend who says, hey, I have mutual friends with Billy Graham. And I just got a text from a mutual friend with Billy Graham. And Billy's in town today and he's actually coming over to your house right after church is over. What would be going through your head? Some of y'all be like, I'm out of here. I'm skipping point number four, Pastor Craig. See ya. I'm with you, man. I'm going to. I'm passing the mic as well. But then you get another text. Oh, change of plans. Billy's actually already at your front porch. He's there on your front porch and he's waiting for you. Now what's going through your head? Don't lie. We're in church. How many 
of us would be, be honest with you, half excited that he's coming, but half scared to death because your first thought would be, oh my heavens, the house is a disaster area. The house is a disaster area. Immediately, your next thought is this. Okay, there are four closets in the house. Johnny, you take the closet down the hallway. I want you to find everything you can in the bottom two bedrooms, and I want you to stuff it into the closet and slam the door. All right, Daddy, you go to the garage. you got the garage closet. Anything you find in the garage, anything you find in the hallway, throw it in the garage closet, slam the thing shut, right? We go into maintenance mode. We go into cleanup mode. We go into hide it mode. And I'm not here to beat us all up. Many of us would do that. But you know what that mentality does for us over a period of years? You know what that mentality does? for us in our minds, it it continues to try to convince us that no one wants to come around unless we are perfectly clean. It begins to convince us that no one wants to be around us until we have all of our act together. It begins to convince us that nobody wants to interact with us until we have our messes taken care of. And you know what I love about our Jesus? He looks at Zacchaeus and he says, I'm coming to your house today. He didn't say, no, I'm going to come in a few days. I want to give you a few days to tidy things up because I don't like messes. No, 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 no. That's not what our Jesus does. He says, today I'm coming to your house. Today salvation is coming to your house. Today, I'm not going to give it a few days. He says, I'm coming to your house today. I'm not worried about your mess. The Bible says Zacchaeus took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. Woo! He was ecstatic. He couldn't wait to welcome the Savior into his abode. Listen, church, I love that Jesus far less worried about our messes than we are. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. He speaks to believers, not non-believers. He said, look, I stand at the door. And I knock. If you'll hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as critics. I'll judge you for your messes. I'll make my determination if I'm coming back based on how clean the laundry room is. No. He says we will share a meal together as friends. You mean Jesus, if he comes over to my house and I didn't know he was coming, and he comes into my house and he passes the big mess that's on the right and the left, that he will sit down with me at my table as a friend? Not a critic. You know what Jesus is really saying there? You realize what he's saying? He's not going to be shocked by any mess in any part of your life. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Wow. Amazing. Jesus heard it and he told him. He said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people need doctors. I've come to call those who think. Not those who think they're righteous, but I've come to call those who know they're sinners. They know they're sick. You know what this means? This means that Jesus is not scared of your sickness, Jesus is not scared of your disease. He's not afraid of your sickness and stench. He's not afraid of your mess. No, he's not. When was the last time you had a sickness and you went to see your doctor? And you walked in the waiting room and you waited, I don't know, two and a half hours, three. I guess that's the average time. And you take four hours out of your day to go to the doctor. And all of a sudden you get called about two and a half hours in. Hey, Dr. Jones, request your presence in room number three. You walk down the cold, sterile hallway, and you go in, and you sit on the scratchy paper. And you take the little foot thing rest and put your feet out on the foot rest. And the doctor comes in. What seems to be the problem today, Mr. Mossgrove? Doc, I got a really bad rash. And um, it's really embarrassing. And it started real small. But now it's kind of like taking over my whole body. Like, like when's the last time your doctor looked at you and said, Oh my gosh! What? That is disgusting! Why are you telling me this? Who do you think I am? What do you think my profession is? 
TMI, Mr. Musgrove. Doctors don't respond that way. Why? Because they expect to see sick people. Our King Jesus said, I expect to see sick people. I don't expect to see wholeness. I don't expect to see healing. I expect to see disease. I expect to see sickness. I expect to see people who have been hurt and abused and are battered and are torn. So don't hide from me. I came for sickness. I'm not shocked by rashes. I'm not shocked by abandonment. I'm not shocked by abuse. I came to heal and to make whole. Can I just say, if you're here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus because you've become convinced that you can't make Jesus until you clean up that one room of your life, that most ugly room in your house, can I give you a piece of advice today? I want to request right now, King Jesus would like to request your presence on room altar. Would you please get up out of the waiting room and please begin to move into the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Would you please move into the presence of the one who is able to heal every disease and sickness and problem and issue you've ever faced? expects to see it. Stand up out of the waiting room and go see King Jesus. Say, Craig, what does this have to do with outreach? Because the best gift we'll ever give the people of Cherokee County that we reach out to, we minister to, on every street corner, in every hospital, in every restaurant, in every place of work or business, we will give them the gift of not being shocked by any sickness or any disease or any sin in their life. And when you meet somebody, I'm going to preach this prophetically for a minute if you'll just give me a moment. When you meet somebody, I'm just declaring this for our future as a church. When you meet somebody and they're messed up on crack cocaine and they're ashamed and you look them in the eyes, they're going to see Jesus. And all of a sudden, they may be hung over from the night before and they're expecting when you see them on a street corner or maybe they're hung over from the night before and they come into this church one day in our day and our future and they're expecting nothing but judgment from you and they're expecting nothing but anger from you and right indignation from you but they lock eyes with you and they find out that you're not shocked by their sickness and you're a follower of Jesus Christ it will for the first time in their life begin to help them to understand the mercy and the grace of our King Jesus Jesus says I'm coming over today and he knew what well was clean he knew what rooms were messy we can't wait to meet the encounter the King of Kings and Lord of Lords we can't wait until we get clean no Jesus came to address our mess listen to me there are people all over this city, all over this community, all over the area that we live that are literally longing for someone to to notice them. They are longing for a glimpse of Jesus. And you know what we're going to do? Here's what we're going to do as a church. We're going to notice them because Jesus came to notice the person that everybody else tried not to notice. He tried not, the world tried not to notice Zacchaeus, but Jesus noticed him. And we're going to go to people that the world says, I don't notice. And we're going to say, I notice you. But we're not going to stop there. We're going to get to know them and know their name. And you know what I believe with all of my heart? I believe that when they lay their head on their pillow that night, the Lord of glory will whisper to their heart, did you know before that person noticed you, I noticed you, and I've been following you around, and I know your name? And then we're not going to stop there. We're going to minister to their needs, and we're going to touch them, and we're going to share with them, and engage them, and whatever we can do, and we will notice them. And then what happens is when they fall asleep on their pill, their head on their pillow that night, and they are shocked that we were not shocked, they were shocked that we noticed them, They were shocked that we remembered their name. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus will whisper to their hearts and say, long before they noticed you, I noticed you, son. Long before I sent that person to you, I came to you. I I noticed you. I have a heart for you. I'm ready to save you. I'm ready to touch you. I'm ready to minister to you. But we won't stop at noticing them. We're going to get to know them. We're going to call them by name. And we're going to get to know who they are. And I believe that with all of my heart, as we minister to them, when they fall asleep that night... Shocked that we weren't shocked. Shocked that we remember their name. Shocked that we didn't smell. I believe Jesus will whisper to their hearts, Before I formed you, I knew you. And I didn't just know your name, I, I knew you. We're not going to stop there. We're going to come to them because they've called us to. They're in need. They need Jesus. And they need a shirt, and we got extras. And they need a meal, and we got more than enough. We're going to come to them, and Jesus will whisper to them before they got here, I've been following you around, baby. I've 
been following you around, son. They've been following you around, daughter. And when we find them, no matter the sickness in their life, we're not going to be shocked by the state we find them in. No, 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 no. That moment that they fall asleep that night, shocked that we didn't smell them, shocked that we didn't judge them, I believe the God of the universe wants to whisper to those hearts, that's why I sent my son. He's just looking for people who would be willing to go. He's looking for people who would be willing to reach. He's looking for people who would move from I might and I should to I must. To I must be about the Father's business. I must be about seeking and saving that which is lost. I must serve others. And when he whispers to their heart, he'll say, I sent those people to remind you that you can come to me. Come on. Pastor, there is no greater joy than when you're pastoring a community and you see someone who is lost becomes found. But to be there to witness the very moment when for the first time they hear Jesus calling their name is unlike anything. <laughs> because when Jesus calls people's names, they walk up out of graves with linen cloths wrapped around them because death dies when Jesus speaks to it. I remember when Jesus called my name. Death couldn't no longer have a hold on me. And there are people all over the city just like Zacchaeus. They want just a glimpse of Jesus. They want to see his face so badly. And I want to tell you something. You will move from I might to I must. Those people that we're talking about. One of the best looks at Jesus' face that they will ever get. Would maybe be when they meet you on the street corner. Maybe when they meet you in class. They meet you at the job site. Wherever it is God's called you to go. A couple years back, come on team. I was, um, I was living in Tennessee at the time. My wife and I and our family. And um, there was an opportunity I had on a Wednesday morning to go do something called See at the Pole, which is like the third Wednesday of September. It's a, it's a national day of prayer. And because there's three major high schools there, I would go to each of the high schools and, and sit back and watch some of our students. I was a youth pastor at the time, minister to their peers. It was like, kind of like the proud pastor moment, right? And I went to one of our schools called Walker Valley High School, and there was a wraparound in front of the school. So here's this front entrance. There's like a half moon. And there's a big grassy area with a big pole and a flag. And all the students, when I got there, about 150 of them were, were in this little half moon looking at the flag and they were praying. And one of them got the idea. They said, before we end this uh, prayer time together, we're going to all get around the, the pole. We're going to face back towards the front of the school. We're going to pray for our school. And so kids were getting off the bus off here to the right and car rider line could pull up. And these kids were coming into the front of the school, but they were seeing this prayer meeting. And so some of them got a little intrigued by it. And so they would just kind of hang out a little bit longer on the front steps here, right? It's like, what's going on in here? And I never forget, I was standing over here to the right. And to be honest with you, I wasn't having these crazy spiritual thoughts. I was just kind of watching what was going on. And I was standing over there in just a moment of sensitivity. I'm watching that group pray. And I look over here on the front of the school. And there's a young man who has got his shoulder up against the, a column, a brick column. And he's got his head down. And he's leaning up against it. And as soon as I look at him, I mean, as soon as I do, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, Craig, start walking over to him right now. And so I said, okay. And so I started walking. I only had about 100 yards. So I said, okay, Lord, what do you, what do you want me to say to him? He said, we get to know him. What is it? He said, I want you to tell him, Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is given, a son is given, a son is born, I should say. A son is given, a child is born, and the government will rest upon his shoulders and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he said to me, very clearly, the Lord said, I want you to tell him that I, Jesus, will be his Everlasting Father. I said, okay. So I walked over to him. And I tapped him on the shoulder. He's leaned up against here, and he's got his head down. I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, man, what's your name? I said, my name is, my name is Craig Mosgrove. He said, my name is Kevin. I said, Kevin, so good to meet you. He said, I know you don't know me from Adam, but uh, I was standing right over there in the grass. <laughs> and... Uh, Jesus, the Lord of glory, uh, he spoke to me, and he told me to come tell you that he wanted to be your everlasting father. 
Now, I had a lot of a lot of snot on my chest, a lot of snot on my pants through the years with praying for people on the altar, a lot of snot coming down the nose. I've, I've been snotted very good. But what's about to happen right there had never happened to me at all in my moments of ministry. Kevin, who's 16 years old, drops to his knees, and he puts his head and his ear into my belly button, and he begins to weep uncontrollably. And everybody on the pole is looking at us, and I'm like, going to do? Just stand there. This goes on for minutes. Minutes. I finally got him to stop a minute. I said, Kevin, what's going on, man? I said, you know, and, and, and so he began to divulge and tell the story. And I said, uh, isn't it amazing? God wants to minister to you today. I said, do you know anything about Jesus? You know about the gospel? He did. I said, what's going on? He said, man, my parents have been divorced for about four years. My dad has not talked to me one time. And he said, this morning, 20 minutes ago on the way to school, my dad called me for the first time in four years. And he said he wanted to wanted nothing to do with me. I said, it is amazing that God took a man who did not know you standing in a grassy field to come over to you and come to you and tell you Jesus wants to be your everlasting father on the very day your earthly father said he wanted you no more. And I got to lead this dude to Christ right there on on the well, it's so cool is because all of them were at the flagpole praying for salvation for people in their school and one of them happened right in their sight line to get to the front door. It was just an amazing moment. They don't happen all the time. It's just amazing. And I'll be honest with you, Andy, I had lack of faith. Called me lack of faith preacher. I did. I did, man. I thought it was one of those dudes where you'd pray the prayer with him and then I'd never see him again. Call it what it is. Just, I thought it was. I thought it would never. I said, Kevin, make sure you get my number. You contact me anytime. It wasn't three hours. He starts texting me in school. Craig, thank you so much for coming over to me. He said, do you happen to come to the school? I said, yeah, every Tuesday morning, I come in and do a Bible study with all the coaches at the school. He said, do you mind to lead that a little bit early? And would you meet me in the media center? I don't have a Bible. I'd love to learn about the Bible. I said, boy, I'll be there. I'll be there this Tuesday morning. I ended up early with the coaches. I walk in the media center, and Kevin's not there by himself at the table. He's got three other friends who don't know Jesus that are sitting there waiting. I get him a Bible. We start leading a Bible study. I led these students for almost six months. I had no idea the sensitivity in a moment where I wasn't looking for ministry. The Holy Spirit wanted to use ministry because you're just willing. And on Thanksgiving that year, I don't know how this young man got my address, but he somehow got it. And he was in Spanish class, so he had to write something for his Spanish class. <laughs> and so I get this in the mail. And I'm thinking, wow, it's Thanksgiving. Dear Craig, thank you for coming up to me outside the school that day. I didn't think anyone ever saw me anymore. You've helped me surrender to the Lord and kind of understand what the Word of God means and how much of an impact it can have on my life if I allow Jesus to be Lord over all. Thank you, Craig, for everything. Sincerely, Kevin Ledford. How many Kevin Ledfords are in Atlanta, Georgia? Oh, they're dying. They're dying for people to come and notice them, to get to know them, to speak to their name, to come to their Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit commissions us to do more than just sing songs, to do more than just pray within the confines of our walls, but your Spirit commissions our soul to go. And as we're going, God, there are opportunities around us to see people come to know you and those that know you to become disciples. And I pray, God, in these moments that we close here, that, Father, you would stir our hearts again with great compassion. There's something sociologists call compassion fatigue in our day where there's so much need in our world that people are callous to it. Would that not be the case for your church, God? That wherever we've grown callous in our hearts towards the needs of others, that, Lord, you would again once break us and give us great compassion. Jesus, you looked upon them like sheep without a shepherd, and you had compassion on them. So, Lord, let compassion fill our souls again as we conclude this day. God, I pray that you would send us out in your power and your strength. I pray, Holy Spirit of God, you would baptize believers afresh and anew and let the way of love and the eagerly desiring of spiritual gifts be theirs in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit of God, would you pour out of your giftedness and grace and ability, oh God, to do what we can never do in our own strength. And I pray that you would shed abroad your love. That we would love people with the love we've received. That we would make an invisible God visible by the way we love. That we would open invisible hearts with visible love. 
that you would ignite creativity within the congregation, this church, that the ministry of Jesus would become so ear deafening in this region that God, we would not have a building contained, God, the work you want to do. Lord, I just declare in Jesus' name that God, those that have been abused and torn and tattered, God, that the church of Jesus Christ would find them and go to them and you would compel us, oh God, to the highways and byways to share the gospel. To, Lord, to share light where it's most dim in the city. Lord, to share your voice in an area where your voice has not been heard. God, where people are living through living hell. God, I pray that the light of Jesus would shine through your church. That we would not shut down the walls of our life and close our garages and shut ourselves to the outside world. But, God, you would impassion us again, oh God, and impassion us and brand us and mark us with your great compassion. To see those in need and reach to touch. Because we've been touched and transformed by your great love. Once again, stir us, we pray, Jesus. Holy Spirit, stir us for the attic. We call them whole and heal in Jesus' name. Delivered in Jesus' name. I pray they come by the multitudes to the work of ministry that comes forth from this church. That multitudes of addicts would become to the saving knowledge of Jesus. I pray you would use their mess, God. Lord, to minister to those that are down and out and disenfranchised and feel no hope in life. God, I pray in Jesus' name for those that are are hurting, God, for families that are torn apart, that a healing virtue would be extended, that homes would be restored, that sons and daughters would come back home, that relationships and marriages would live again, we pray in Jesus' name. Commission our souls. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.